Giovanni. I am an exercise physiologist, and I'm a sports nutritionist. Hello, everyone. I'm Robert Fortress Fortney, um, journalist, strength athlete, and all-around weight training guy. And uh, this is Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I am a competitive busters weightlifter. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, strongman competitor, uh, national record holder, and founder of LiftForHope.org. Lonnie, man, your 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 bio gets shorter every week. I mean, first you're leaving off doctor, and now you're leaving off your uh, bodybuilding, everything else. What's up? Well, you know, I, I started thinking about. Hey, I'm just Lonnie. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough for us. And by the way, in, in case it's escaped anyone's attention, we do have the highest uh, host-to-guest ratio of any radio show in, in history. <laughs> That's good. That's like having a, a good uh, teacher-to-classroom ratio or something. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> nice. Okay, um, everybody, I'll introduce the guest of the day. Today we got Nick Nelson. Um, many of you know him. Nick uh, kind of has a, a long... Um, relationship with training and fitness. He started out uh, under the age of 17. He started out as a, a runner, a cross-country runner of, of all things, and then uh, moved on to bodybuilding. Um, was able to pack on just a, a massive amount of pounds in, in less than eight months. Um, he's also a trainer. He's written for many print and online media. Um, has numerous e-books out there, hard copies as well. Uh, probably best known for his innovation, innovation and just imaginative, imaginative ways of uh, I guess torturing us and uh, <laughs> with diet and training and exercise, um, unique exercises and building a better you. Um, everybody, Nick Nelson. Thanks for having Thanks. me. Yeah, Nick. Thanks for coming, Nick. Yeah, I bet. So, I mean, my first question is, how the heck did you uh, get started? How did you change from endurance, you know, cross country type stuff into bodybuilding? What 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 prompted that? Uh, basically, when I first started training, I was like 145 pounds soaking wet, and uh, <laughs> I saw this great cybergenics commercial on TV, and I thought, man, you know, if that, that supplement kit can make me look like that, that would be great. And uh, so I picked up training, and obviously I didn't, you know, look like that picture in the supplement ad right away. <laughs> but um, I basically I, got, I started training and uh, basically started kind of doing everything wrong right away and uh, actually ended up getting losing weight as I was trying to build up muscle and uh, got down to like 3% body fat pretty much by accident. Wow. Because I was I was doing things wrong with my eating and with my training, but um, then I went to uh, university and thought, man, this is this is where I can really start piling on some muscle. And I found out that cafeteria food is very high in calories. <laughs> and uh, I was packing I'm packing away about eight thousand to nine thousand calories a day, and I went from 145 pounds up to almost 220 within eight months. So you like put on the freshman 80. I did. Yep. <laughs> it was yeah. I was actually uh, Nick's an overachiever in every sense of the word. That's right. And to, to give you an idea of my ignorance with uh, eating, I was actually um, so I was trying to keep my body fat down while I was doing this. So I was eating like half a dozen eggs, half a dozen fried eggs. Nice. But uh, in order to uh, cut the fat calories, I would cut out all the yolks and just eat fried egg whites. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm just just trying to think. There's a problem in there somewhere, but yeah, uh, I'll, I'll yeah, there's some, there's a couple of problems in there too. I, I think dietary variety might have been limited just a little bit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even the salad at that place was deep fried, so there wasn't a whole lot I could do. But other than <laughs> cutting back on the the egg yolks, wasn't really the best approach for that. But uh, you know, eventually I was started training. I had even twice a 
days of weight training, like within six months of even just starting weight training. And um, the Bulgarian system from, what's his uh, face, Leo Costa. And, uh, yeah, I started cracking on that. It actually worked really well for me. And, uh, you know, eating eight to 10,000 calories a day and training twice a day, six days a week. And uh, I got uh, some pretty good uh, strength and muscle out of that. But oh, yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't all muscle, unfortunately. I trained with Leo Costa at one point. Oh, yeah? Excellent. Yeah. And everybody can check out pictures of that, you know, Nick kind of his transformation on uh, his website, www.fifthstep.com as well, and, and a bunch of other, you know, interesting information. <clears throat> but yeah. um, to move on, uh, so, so you, you switched, and, you know, you've talked to me numerous times about uh, kind of your innovation and whatnot, and that your father was a big influence on that. Had uh, yeah. He always had, like, homemade training gear around the house and whatnot. Oh, cripes, yeah. When I was growing up, I thought it was perfectly normal to have a, a gym made entirely out of plumbing pipe in your basement. <laughs> and uh, I'm not even kidding, that's what it was. It was like we had sandbags filled with uh, tire inner tubes. We had uh, slide boards. We had gym gyms made out of uh, plumbing pipe held together with duct tape. And, you know, that's just where I, what I learned and what I, what I saw as I was growing up. And I thought, man, this is great. This is fun. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of built on that from there. And when I started training in a regular gym, you know, I, I learned all the, the typical standard exercises, and uh, I got bored with them within, you know, not too long, within yeah. weeks and months. And I thought, man, there's got to be other things I can do. So, well, I mean, you con- kind of found interesting ways to combine those. Then, I mean, your your past and and that unique gym atmosphere you grew up with, and then learning the uh, the fundamentals, I guess you'd call it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even to this day, even with all the unique stuff I come up with, probably about a good 75% of what I do is actually still the standard exercises. You know, like my very favorite exercise is the deadlift. I just love it, and it's, I can't get enough of it. But, um, you know, I come up with all kinds of twists on it, and, uh, you know, just to keep things interesting and to keep your, your body motivated and keep your body, you know, guessing, you really need to change things up, and that's that's what I do, and that's I have fun with that. It's, oh, just it's even, entertainment. Even mentally, you know, entertaining and new can can help. I mean... Like we we talked the other day, I mean, the Olympic lifters, you know, God, there's, it takes uh, the right person to be able to go in the gym and do two moves mm-hmm. every day, three days a week. You know, exactly, yeah. Getting getting some freshness. I mean, a lot of people need it. And, uh, you know, it takes just the right person to, to be able to stick to one simple thing. But, uh, yeah, I can't even actually comprehend just doing two lifts like you're saying, you know, just doing that, <laughs> grinding that out every single day. I just don't All right, why, why don't you guys just pile on, all right? Just <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're here for. Isn't it? I mean, but we I'm all know who we're talking about here, so you can just. No, know. of course, you know. I mean, we're we're picking on you, but you're going to be picking on other people here in the topic of the day. So hey, that's true. Worth it. So, um, what do you have coming up then? Uh, what do you have in store? What's what's the mastermind got thinking a new twist and whatnot? Anything you can share with us? Oh yeah, I mean, I got all kinds of stuff. Um, my next um, what what I've been doing a lot of recently is just taking exercises. Um, like a free weight thing, and trans- transforming them into um, the rack work. Whereas I take like a, a machine squat, you'd think you'd, a machine squat, that's not really a great exercise, but set it up in a barbell rack so that you're just lifting one end of the barbell, and it uh, kind of pivots from one end. And then you're, uh, I was doing hack squats with that the other day, and you can, you have like the the maneuverability of a free weight because the barbell's only pivoting on one spot, so you can maneuver side to side, you can get wedged into the machine like you usually do with a squat machine. But uh, it kind of stabilizes you a little better, so you can, you know, really dig into the muscle really good. 
What I got to say about Nick that I just really love is, is pretty much if you use any of Nick's exercises in a commercial gym, you'll, you're, you're out. Like you're just out. <laughs> <laughs> I can vouch for that. Yeah, it's just pretty cool, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> to me, when I used to train in commercial gyms, that was that was half the fun of the stuff that I was doing. It's like okay, I've actually gotten kicked out of gyms before for doing some of the stuff I've done. Oh, <laughs> Ironically right. enough, it was for doing deadlifts. <laughs> Now, Nick, honestly, has just such creative exercise variations, and um, anybody who uh, gets our uh, newsletter from StaleyTraining.com uh, every week uh, gets one of those from Nick, and uh, they're uh, just just great creativity. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I definitely have a good time down there, and uh, there's some days when I'm doing, uh, I just don't feel like doing regular training, and I'll purposefully just go down there and try and come up with something new on every single body part that I'm working and uh, I come up with some pretty screwball stuff, and uh, not all of it is really good. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, I try and make things so that they work better rather than just for the sake of being different. Mm-hmm. And that's and the one, real key. One thing that's refreshing, too, is, I mean, with all your stuff, you're not just pulling things out of your butt and, and throwing it out there. I mean, 90% of the time, along with your articles and whatnot, you you put in videos, yep. and you're doing the stuff. You know, I mean, you, yep. you hear a lot of guys, and they're, they're just throwing crap out there, and they'll admit it. But, I mean, you're putting yourself through these things. Oh, yeah. You're doing it yourself. And most of the time when you see those videos, that's the first time I've ever done that exercise myself. <laughs> it's I basically have a video camera down in my basement, and I think it's something I flip the camera on, and, and I do it and see what happens. Yeah. And uh, sometimes I've ended up kind of in funny positions with weights lying on top of me. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but for the most part, it works out pretty good. And, you should uh, put together a compilation ebook of like follies. I've got one actually. It was just really kind of funny. I was doing dumbbell pullovers, and uh, I think I kind of misjudged the body position on the Swiss ball, and uh, ended up going completely <laughs> back over the ball and flopping around and ending up, you know, kind of twisted off to the side up against the wall. Nice. But uh, yeah, I did aside get that on video. A, <laughs> aside from uh, you know innovating new exercises and whatnot with yourself, dude, what are your uh, personal goals in fitness right now anything you're shooting for um i'm always my main goal is always to try and get my deadlift higher um the most i've ever done is 550 and um i always want to build on that and um just actually um this past month my training has been um using my own muscle explosion program where basically it's um it's really an interesting program you start off with a week of strict very strict dieting and um, you purposely try and get that rebound from, like, the carbo-loading and the calorie-loading the week after. Um, yeah, I've, I've gained upwards of, like, five to seven pounds within that first week of coming back onto it. Wow, crazy. The um, training that I do on that week coming after it is, you might have seen it on the website, to Compound Exercise Overload. It's similar to EDT, actually, in that you're training for volume and you're staying away from failure. But uh, rather than keep the weight the same, what I do is actually I start with a weight that I can do six reps with, but I just do three reps with. And then do three reps, rest 30 seconds, do another set of three reps, rest 30 seconds, and keep doing that until I can't get three reps and just do two reps. Once I set like that, then I drop the weight 20 pounds, keep and do that for, you know, upwards of 20, 30, 40 minutes. So last week I did that, did the, <clears throat> started with 20 minutes on that, and then the next day I did... 25 minutes, and then 30 minutes, and then 35 minutes, and then 40 minutes. So five days in a row I did the exercise I picked was stiff like a deadlift. And um, by the end of that week, I had actually added 60 pounds onto my start weight. So doing the same exercise five days in a row, I actually increased the weight every time, which is kind of crazy. 
I suppose it'd be a good idea that you did do that kind of carb load situation first. It's something I even do in classes is where uh, you could predict uh, weight gain from glycogen loading. You start off in a more or less you know, carb-depleted state like you were talking about, and then uh, it's about five pounds. I mean, if you go from, let's say you're, you've got two or 300 grams of glycogen in your muscles and your liver, then you carb load, and by the time you're done, you actually end up with you know, more than double, well more than double of that number of grams of carbohydrate in your body. So that would set you up pretty nice to do, like you said, almost a, a five-day, what, what, what would otherwise be really draining, I think. You kind of start off in a very full state, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, because of this type of exercise where you're doing the same exercise each time, your body adapts really, really well to that one exercise. And it's a case, it's similar to like the Olympic lifters who focus on the uh, one or two exercises. On this, you're developing a very good groove on that, and your body recovers from that very well, especially when you filled it up with glycogen, like you're saying. And uh, just that rebound affect your body, basically just sucking up everything it possibly can. It's really anabolic conditions in your body. And uh, just seen some incredible results just from doing that. Yeah, that's kind of much like I was starting on here. I mean, I did my uh, <clears throat> did like a month long, very strict cut, and uh, I, I joke around and say it was my biannual month long cut. And now <laughs> I got another two years in me of bulking up, but uh, <laughs> um, dropped down to like twenty eight pounds in a month, and then uh, started eating again and started on this high volume squat program, and it's just it's piling on. Well, you know what? It's not just carbs either. I mean, glycogen sensitivity is going to, you know, your ability to pack weight glycogen is going to be enhanced, but even your ability to kind of suck up fats, any fats that you consume in the diet. I, I've seen some data that LPL, which is that enzyme that sucks up basically fats from the bloodstream, is enhanced after a period of dieting too. So you could even boost up that couple hundred grams of fat droplets in your muscles. You know, that's just basically packing them full of substrates and nutrients. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the experience with this kind of program is basically uh, you just deplete the hell out of yourself for a period of time, and then you just when you hit it with everything you've got nutritionally, then it, you're setting yourself up for massive gains. And you know people who have a hard time gaining that I, the first thing I tell them to do is go on a diet and basically set up that rebound. Seems like it might be a good plateau buster. It absolutely is. Yeah, absolutely. it kind of works in the opposite too. I mean, I've had the same experience with people that are have been dieting so long, and they hit a plateau. Well, tell them to eat for a little while. Yeah, you know, yep. and it kind of works in reverse, yeah. Get that metabolic engine rolling again, and, yeah. then, and then when you go back to the dieting, then you you're have a higher set point again, so you don't need that bigger deficit like you do if you keep Especially, on. Especially, I mean, I, I really like that, that idea, and it's doing those short, short extremes, mm-hmm. you know, where you're doing a very extreme diet for a, a short amount of time. So many people screw up and try to do this stuff for months on end, but uh, I really like them for, for the short short periods of just, hard dieting and hard bulking, and then, you know, you'll get some dramatic results, and then much of your time is, is kind of cruising. Mm-hmm. So. This all kind of just reeks of periodization. You know, we were talking about nutritional periodization, or you guys were, a couple of weeks ago, and I think exercise and nutrition is just ways that you can periodize that up and down for a greater effect than if you just try to trudge forward with exactly the same thing year-round, you know. Absolutely, and that's that's totally my experience with this kind of thing. And then nutritionally, that's what I try and do. Is that rather than just go steady state on everything and just try and gradually, here I find your body really responds well to those emergency situations where you're basically forcing things to happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's uh, that to be really really effective for both dieting and for muscle building. And I actually have a 30-day program where it's a five-day split, so you're five days dieting, five days bulking, five days dieting, going back and forth between those two extremes. And uh, I found that really effective as well. Very cool. Well, uh, Nick, uh, everybody, again, check out his website, www.fitstep.com, and uh, plenty of new stuff on there, and there's more coming every day. Um, please stick around and uh, join us with the topic of the day. I'm sure Charles has something crazy in store for us from what I've heard. So, But thanks again for coming. We're going to move on now. <clears throat> We got a good one this week. I think we got a good one last week. And uh, man, there are certain things that just kind of get under my skin. And uh, you know, global warming. Don't get me started on global warming. And then uh, all of a sudden, like swine flu is like the you know the next thing. It's uh, you know the pandemic. Uh, uh, even though it's uh, uh, historically the least deadly flu ever studied, uh, I guess we're in a pandemic. But uh, the latest thing that's uh, gotten me away from those two subjects is, uh, anybody see Kirstie Alley on Oprah yesterday? Yeah, I caught a bit of that. My wife was watching some of that. I mean, you know, so uh, I just, uh, you know, as 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 anyone listening probably knows, um, Oprah, now, now, actually, by the way, I've not done my due diligence because I cannot just offhand remember what uh, uh, what diet system. I think it was Nutrisystem. Is, was was Oprah doing the the paid endorsements for Nutrisystem, or was it uh, Jenny? It was Jenny Craig, right? Jenny Craig. I think so yeah. yeah, yeah, Jenny Craig, and so she lost all this weight, and uh, and then so she's gained the weight back, and she was on Oprah yesterday talking about this, and uh, and she was just uh, you know being very honest and just showing how. Uh, after they, after she finally lost whatever amount of weight and got into a bikini and went on Oprah's show in the bikini, and then uh, apparently at that point um, she had all the exercise equipment taken out of her house and replaced it with a dining room and this and that. So that's hard. <laughs> Wait a minute, she had it replaced with what? With a dining room. So you know, basically, you know, uh, I guess there's some symbolism in that. But uh, uh, but but here's here's my take on it, and you know, so she's. She's crying and moping to Oprah about how how heavy she is now and how she hasn't done a lick of exercise in a year and a half and this and that. So here's my take on it, and then I'll turn it over to you, and then we can bat this around a little bit. But could you imagine somebody going on a talk show and bitching about how much they they suck at golf? So you know the person comes on and says, you know, to the host, they say, "Man, I'm just so humiliated." Uh, uh, about how much, you know, how terrible my golf game is. I just don't know what to do. And, and then the host would say something like, well, how much do you practice? And then the, then the person would say, oh, I, I hate practicing golf. Can't stand it. <laughs> and and this, I think probably you might be perplexed, as we all were when we were, when Kirstie was saying to Oprah last night, yeah, I'm so humiliated about how fat I am and I just don't know what to do. So I just find it amazing that um, people are surprised that when they hate physical activity, that they end up with a body that hates physical activity. And and this comes back to really just developing 
a, 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 you know, a positive and a productive relationship with physical activity. And I, I really, you know, I, I don't think it's so much the activity that you do, but really more your relationship with that activity. And um, I, I just personally find it amazing how people want to eat their, you know, uh, have their cake and eat it too, so to speak. You know, you, you, you hate physical activity. You hate moving. You have no sense of delayed gratification, and yet you're surprised when you're fat. Um, now, by the way, I would fully, I would fully respect if, if some fat person told me, you know what, I hate exercise and I have no delayed gratification and I'm just fine being fat. That I could respect because that's at least congruent. But I'm just amazed how, uh, you know, people like Christy Alley are surprised that, you know, you're physically uh, sedentary for a year and a half. And you don't think there'll be any consequence to that. So uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think if you talk to health professionals, they're quick to point out that diet is a fairly uh, – it could be a fairly dramatic, but it's a short-term uh, solution when it comes to that kind of stuff. I mean the percentage of, of failure as far as regain weight and things like that is really high with diet alone. And any sports or health wellness, I think, person is going to tell you that physical activity – has to be part of this scenario or you're not going to have long-term changes. And what blows me away is that whether it's diet or exercise or, or the combination, people probably like Kiersey Alley, I didn't see that show, but people so often think if they pay their dues for a little while and they earn this uh, adaptation, you know, this new body, this new result, that they can go back to their old ways because they have some notion that they've paid their dues and, and they're just going to keep this new slim physique it it blows my mind so I, i'm always telling people listen your body is like a wagon it follows your behaviors you know if you turn left it goes left if you turn right it goes right if you diet it gets smaller you know if you exercise in a certain way it could get bigger or smaller but it's going to follow your behavior it's a wagon you know so it, people just don't seem to understand that they still have this idea that i'm just going to diet because for whatever reason diet is more acute and you know the effects are more dramatic, and then they they think they've paid their dues, and they can become, you know, like that forever. It, it it's an, an absurd notion. Yeah. Wasn't Kirstie Alley on on the Oprah show like just a couple of years ago, where she was like flaunting her bikini body? Yeah. Uh, much much to the displeasure of the people in the audience <clears throat> when I saw the uh, playback of it. But yeah, I mean, and, and certainly Oprah almost seems to enable that that type of behavior from because she herself does the same thing. You know, she yo-yos up and down. And I think a lot of people just get, like like Charles was saying, people just get sick of it, you know, because all the people who showboat the most about their new bodies are the ones who lose it, you know, m more quickly than anybody else. Well, and the bad thing is, and then they cry about it. Yeah. <laughs> like, and can't figure out exactly what happened. Yeah, they go on TV or whatever, and they make this big stink about how they've, you know, um, the big triumph that they're experiencing. And then, as Lonnie says, they, you know, those people just kind of just drop off quickly back their old old ways. So, but don't you don't you guys think that the, the the common denominator in people who maintain good body compositions are that these are people that have learned to enjoy physical activity? And I, I use that word very purposefully because you, you know you, you can call it exercise or working out or training or whatever you want to call it, but basically it's just physical activity. Um, and, and by the way, that might be just you know, uh, recreational stuff. It might be hiking and biking and climbing or whatever. But the only way that you're going to participate day in and day out 
in physical activity or any activity for that matter is if you learn to love it. And if you don't make that connection, then it's it's going to be a temporary fix. That's unquestionable. Well, yeah, it goes back to the topic we did before, and there's the, um, you know, having a healthy relationship with exercise and diet. You know, and people think you have to hate it, and you don't. You need to find something in there that you enjoy and something you can live with long term. It's true. You know, motivating behavior change is an extremely well-developed field of psychology and health promotion. And uh, you know what? Let me let me throw in a, a little bit of uh, info here. We're, we're talking about finding that love for it. Here's a quote from a, a 1996 paper on motivation to participate. What they're doing is they're looking at college students, and they're actually having them take – there are actually psychological tests that you can use to get at this info, but motivation for physical activity measure is one of them. And the other one is called the sport enjoyment questionnaire. There's one for you. So anyway, in this paper, they were finding some support for these these models, and they found that intrinsic motivation – so like we're talking about this – some enjoyment level, some internal drive was a predictor – of uh, affect and perceived satisfaction. And then it says extrinsic motivation predicted adherence to exercise for men only. So it's interesting to look at the different kinds of populations and how this works, but I think the more you look at it, you're going to keep finding what we're saying here. You can call it intrinsic motivation or you can call it enjoyment, but if you don't like what you're doing um, you know, and it feels like a chore, then we're back to the whole discipline model and so, so Lonnie, you mentioned satisfaction, right? Yep. I mean, that is just so huge. And I just, I just have got to make this point because, I don't know, I just think this point is lost on people. They showed the exercise equipment that they were hauling out of, you know, uh, Kirstie Alley's uh, home. And uh, the exercise equipment was basically uh, designed probably to be user-friendly for, for novices and, and so they show like a, a, a chest press machine, but Lonnie, these machines were like kind of pneumatic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because after all, lifting real weights is kind of too hardcore and intimidating for most people. But why is it lost on people that pushing back and forth on a pneumatic device where you cannot see the fruits of your efforts is inherently boring, uh, and yet that's what's pushed on everybody? Agreed. Don't you think? I mean, I mean, look, I don't think any of us, okay, all of the hosts on the show and including our guest, Nick Nielsen, we're all guys that are really into training. And I don't think any of us, if, 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 if you were challenged to, to work out three days a week on Kirstie Alley's equipment, uh, like Kirstie, we'd all be bored out of our minds because you're just pushing and pulling on stuff without getting the reward, without getting the satisfaction of saying, hey, you know what, uh, last week I could lift 90 pounds, and this week I can lift 100 pounds. Yeah, you don't yeah. even get the satisfaction. So the, now, now, of course, you might get the satisfaction of the change in your body down the line, but what's wrong with getting some short-term immediate gratification in, in, in terms of seeing your performance improve? I think that's so I true. I wouldn't actually be bored on that because I'd end up probably just lifting the actual machine, the whole machine itself, <laughs> and doing like handstand push-ups on the rails and stuff like that. Yeah, you are you are way outside the box there. <laughs> I would, well, I would gravitate to actually not doing anything as it's. Well, these people are using, um, you know, like people Kirstie Alley and that. I mean, you see the and they always, you know, they, they they talk about the diet and so forth, and they never they always talk about the.
training and, and the exercise and the physical activity is almost almost an afterthought, you know, uh, a tool that just has to be added onto the equation that it is diet and that's it, you know, the be all end all. And so, it, which kind of feeds into what Lonnie was saying about how, you know, if you want long term, you know, success, um, it has to involve something other than just a sedentary lifestyle but a great diet, you know. So these people aren't looking at the weight training as anything other than a tool. They're not certainly not looking at it as a, as a challenge or something that's enjoying, you know, an enjoyment that they, they can get from the challenge. So I, I think that's that's where they drop off horribly is is on that front. I really like what Charles is saying about the the acute feedback, you know, the immediate gratification of seeing uh, more plates on a bar or bigger numbers or something because it takes a lot of maturity, and I'm stealing this from Charles too, but it takes a lot of maturity for people to have this like long-term gratification, you know, as opposed to something right away, but you could have both, and that would that's got to help with the whole idea of satisfaction and competence and, you know, confidence building. And you know what? Let's say even if you have the maturity, why make it so hard on yourself? Okay, you're going to get the long-term uh, gain, but why not have a little... I mean, I mean frankly, any time I pick up a bar, any time I start a workout, I'm looking for some immediate gratification myself. I'm, I'm like hoping I'm going to get a new personal record that day yep. or, you know, in some way form. That's what keeps... Isn't that what keeps you guys going? Absolutely. Yeah, especially with the stuff I put together. You know, it's like... This is meant to be fun. I have fun when I'm coming up with this stuff. Oh, wow. And uh, to bring this kind of fun to other people is, is is great. And I know a lot of people who even with free weight stuff, you know, just doing the bench press, doing rowing, they get bored with that too. And to ch- to change things up really frequently like that and do all kinds of really interesting stuff that, you know, makes people come up to you in the gym and go, what in the hell did you just do? You know, people tell me they get that all the time when they're doing my exercises. And it's that motivation is just huge. And, uh, you know, like Rob said, too, it's some people just view exercise and activity as a tool. You know, the first thing they think of when they think exercise, oh, i got to go sit on a stationary bike and pedal until I, you know, you know, with my headband on and sweat and, you know, and then I get off and then I'm in pain and then it's done. Nick, it sounds like a big part of your motivation. You're, you remind me of like an explorer, you know, you're exploring this, uh, I don't know, outside the box. I don't know, part of your enjoyment seems to be this idea that you're just, I don't know, inventing something or exploring something. You know, that is totally true. That's that's where I that's where I get a lot of enjoyment out of it is by taking an exercise that everybody's done a million times and finding a new way to do it, and just you know, not only opening my own eyes but bringing it to other people and having them go, man, I never would have thought of that. Like uh, one of my favorite ones is doing um, donkey calf raises. I just figured out a way to do it using just a single barbell in, in the rack, and it actually works better than the actual donkey calf raise machine at the gym. It, uh, it's really kind of a lot of fun to do, and just that making it fun like that is just so important. You know, here's another. This is an apropos quote. This is from the Scandinavian Journal of Psychology. This is a 2009 paper by Puente. Uh, listen to this. It just echoes what you're saying totally. It was found that self-determined regulation – so basically setting up your own kinds of programs and self-determining was significantly related to exercise enjoyment, positive affect, and exercise frequency. So when you have some role in designing it yourself, you stick with it more and you enjoy it more. Absolutely, yeah. That's right wow. on money, yeah. God, how different, how different is that than from the stuff like you see some of these Hollywood actresses or actors do where they hire a trainer to tell them everything to do, and they're not part of the process, you know, the strategy or the planning or 
you know, they don't participate, so they don't enjoy it as much. I think yeah. that comes into, uh, you know, how I know one thing we stress very much is, well, the person has to want it or they're not going to change. But stressing that you got to set a goal. I can't set a goal for you. You know, set a goal and then let your coach or trainer help you reach that goal. But you have to have a hand in this, and it has to be something you want. That's a that's a great point, Phil. Otherwise, it's Phil's it's Phil's goal. Yeah, yeah. And you just you won't reach for it. I mean, just like anybody that's uh, somebody that's overweight, they're not going to lose it until they want it for themselves. Like a smoker's not going to stop until they want it. You know, it's just you have to want something. It doesn't matter how much you want it for somebody else. You have to want it for you. And uh, I think one of the great points you brought up is you know, and that people lose is that you can't you can't out train. A crappy diet, and you can't out diet a crappy training plan. It's just people need to catch on to that. You know, you can have excellent one and a little of the other, or, or vice versa, and get somewhere. But I mean, if you want to step well above average, you got to give due attention to both. And I think mainly, I mean, a lot of what I've seen is is diet or training wise. You can train damn hard and let go quite a bit. I mean, you see it in elite athletes that have great genetics and whatnot, but, man, you've got to have a consistent training plan and physical activity. If you're sitting on your butt all the time and you're eating excellent, you're going to be there's, you're gonna be soft and look horrible, and I don't care how good your diet is. Well, it's, it's one thing to eat suboptimal food, but a, a point that sometimes gets lost is that Physical activity uh, positively alters the way in which your body handles uh, sometimes bad food, you know. Well, I was going to actually bring up the point, like I was, you know, what is the most important of the two, you know, attributes, like, you know, the diet or the training. And I've always argued that it's the training that will get you further than just diet. I've studied both for a really long time, and you know what I think? I I tend to agree with that, Rob. I think, and what's strange is, is that nutrition in a lot of states, is a legally licensed um, discipline, whereas exercise is not. In fact, there's only one state in the whole country, it's Louisiana, that regulates uh, uh, exercise physiology with licensure, and even there it's relegated mostly to like cardiac rehab. But isn't it funny that of the two, if exercise is indeed more important and let's face it, you can see the physique of someone who trains. I mean, if you eat very clean, but you don't train, you're not going to have the same kind of look or robust health as someone who, who also trains. And yet, the way the laws are set up in a lot of states is that the diet is regulated you know, to the right kind of professional, and exercise isn't. Almost anybody can decide that they're going to start giving you advice. I think the biggest point that, uh, thing that proves Rob's point is that you look into any prison that has gyms there, and these guys eat like uh, crap. Great point. And, uh, Great point. But the training, they train all day, and they they're just you know rock solid. These guys, and you know they they like gruel practically. I think I don't know, but it's just it's not great nutrition in prison, obviously. And yet they train, and they look like they've been you know they're they look healthy. But doesn't this answer the question then? Where we're saying about like people like Kirstie Allen and Oprah Winfrey, where where it really is. I mean, all they discuss is diet. You know, you look at you know you go through the checkout line at a grocery store, and all the covers, you know, of all the yeah. magazines that are trying to appeal to the women, you know, talk about this new diet, that new diet, I lost 20 pounds on this diet. And it's like they never seem to, t- you know, make, make the point, you know, I, I got in shape because I went and busted my ass in the gym. You know, nobody would buy that magazine. Yeah. So. Well, it's because people trenches. like food. Yeah. <laughs> they don't like physical exertion. 
And that's where all these Franken foods came from. You know, ooh, look, it tastes really good, but it's good for you. You know, it's, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I don't. It's like Charles was talking about. Is It's about enjoyment. Food is inherently both enjoyable and nasty, you know, or, or uncomfortable. I mean, it has all those qualities intrinsic to it. Whereas exercise at a high intensity has a certain component of discomfort to it by nature. And it's really the people who can change their cognition and, and look at it with enjoyment and you know, almost dig that. Maybe it calls for a little bit of masochism. I don't know. But I also think there's, there's real enjoyment to be had. And the people who can find that succeed. And the people who don't you know, have their exercise equipment shipped out the front door. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I always use a phrase that, you know, you have to learn to love love to hate it and hate to love it. You know, there's kind of got to be that duality of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Um, you got to hate it as much as you love it, but love as much as you hate it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and find some sort of peace within that framework. Because otherwise, you're, yeah, you're screwed. Yeah. Look at the way Arnold used to talk about getting a pump and, uh, you know, uh, equating it to orgasms and stuff. I mean, that's that's way on the right side of the spectrum, maybe. But <laughs> <laughs> but you could tell that that guy totally dug it, you know. And, I mean, look at him throughout his career. I mean, I know there was lots of things involved, but he gain or lose 30, 40 pounds and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, again, yes, there's a lot involved there. But still, obviously, he dug it, and he he still trains, even now he's getting older, you know. Well, you're 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 good at what it is that you love. So, I mean, if you don't love it, going back to kind of a the big picture of what we're looking at here, if you don't like like Charles keeps saying, if you don't have some enjoyment of it, you can't find some passion or love for it, then you can't hope to ever be even remotely good at it. So, if you're fighting yourself every second of the way in the gym, well, I mean, that's not going to take you anywhere. I mean, we all know people who've been going to the gym for they've had that membership for 15 bloody years. And not only do they look the same as they did when they came to the gym, but they still look like trash. And if you saw them in the, on, on the street and didn't know them, you'd never even know that they belong to a gym. So. Just, to, just to build on that and to restate what I said before, the activity that you do has a large bearing on your ability to enjoy it. Um, so uh, I would recommend against the pneumatic machines. <laughs> yep. I can't let go of that point. Those yep. types of activities are just inherently drudge. You know, they're just unenjoyable and they're just drudgery, and yet that's that's what everyone makes the beeline to. And why is that? Because again, people are, uh, you know, coming from a pain paradigm instead of a performance paradigm. There is just this belief that it has to suck in order to work. Um, and so that that paradigm leads people to these bad decisions in terms of the activities they do and the foods that they eat, and it's just uh, just comes back to uh, kind of my operating paradigm in life, which is look at what most people do and do the exact opposite of that. You'll be in good shape. So, gentlemen, <laughs> I, I think that's a good place to stop there. We got quite a few questions here. Cool. We need to get to. So um, I'll start on those. Uh, it looks like I, uh, I hit a nerve, Nick. Um, the first question here is from Troy and Gilbert. Um, when can we see a compilation of exercise bloopers by Nick? That would be awesome. <laughs> I'll get working on that. I'll get working on that. i got some good ones. Okay. Um, no, no injuries, luckily, but just some, some screwballs. So. <laughs> That's why I always film. I'm waiting for that big injury, and I'll be a YouTube star. That's right. Um, <laughs> Uh, Winslow in Portland, Oregon. Okay, what have you found to be the best calorie per pound and macronutrient radio, ratio for an ectomorph looking to get as strong as possible, gain a reasonable amount of mass, 
and not get overly fat while doing it. I'm currently at 205 and 50% body fat, and I'm eating 5,200 calories a day, split 40% carbs, 30% protein, 24% fat. Uh, the carbs are mostly AM and peri workout. Workouts are five-day split, five on, two off. In the last 90, 120 minutes, I'm gaining weight really well, but the fat is definitely coming on, too. Um, when I cut calories and carbs, I feel flat, and my weight goes down. Is the fat going to be unavoidable? Uh, wind's low. The first thing I'd like to see, because it sounds like you have your diet in check, would, um, and seeing as you're doing a five-day training split, I'd like to know what you're doing in the gym. Personally. I'd like them to do less training. Yeah, yeah there's a 90 to 120 minutes, and I think that's a big one right there. Yeah, I think he's overtraining. Five days in a row as well. Probably overtraining in five days, and you know, usually a lot of times those five-day splits, a lot of that's fluff, man. <laughs> so I'd like to know oh, yeah, what I, I, you're doing. He's overtraining, and he's also probably implementing too, too many, like you say, um, crap useless exercises. Yeah. Um, he, he's, I think he's probably got to be more selective about what he's doing and yeah. back off a little bit. Go harder, but go less. Yeah. And choose yeah, that's, better. That's definitely where a lot of people mess up. And uh, on the last point, fat, um, yeah, some of it's unavoidable, but no, I don't think you need to go above 15%. Really, I mean, not not much. And uh, that's a good point. When we talked about periodizing a little, maybe it's time for a, a ripping phase for several weeks, and then kind of recalibrate and then head back into the weight gain instead of with just with the constant steady gain, 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 gain the whole time kind of approach. You know, so maybe it's time to periodize a little. And that also depends on your age as well. I mean, fifteen percent can be very good. I mean, but it depends on where you're at here. Anybody else have anything? Well, it just depends also how he carries that fat. I mean, yeah, as well. Fifteen percent looks completely different on two different people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's kind of hard to say without seeing the guy. But I mean, hell, I don't know. From my standpoint, like I said, I'd, I'd focus more on the, the training itself. Yeah, so would I. Yeah. And you know, pat on the back for him too. It sounds like at, I mean, he's over two hundred pounds. He's he's at that percent fat. That's not too bad, brother. You've got a fair amount of size. Yeah. Oh hell yeah, yeah. So. Charles, you got anything? No, you guys, uh, you guys uh, did it. Chuck. Okay, <laughs> I apologize on these next three because I'm not sure I can pronounce their names. We've got other countries chiming in here. So, Abishik Ab- Ab- Um what are some exercises for lower abs? Nick, you're the mastermind on crazy stuff, so run away. Yeah. Well, for lower abs, it's, um, you know, with abs, it's kind of tough because basically one sheet of muscle and it's hard to kind of isolate one section over another section yeah and then you got uh, body fat coming into play as well i mean you can target generally kind of target the lower abs but if you still got the fat covering it you know, then that's not going to make that much of a difference but that being said there are ways you can target that general area and um, you know my my, uh, my thought is you know it's just it's harder if you're pulling on a rope it's hard to put more tension on one part of the rope than the other you know and that's kind of, I mean, with the um, the abs, I think there there are some things you to target because of how the spine. You can kind of use move your fulcrum around a little bit, so you can change how that uh, lever action goes and kind of focus. Yeah, I think that's general hooey to suggest that you can really isolate too much when it comes to that. I uh, yeah. certainly think you know the mention of body fat and how certainly males distribute body fat on their abs and lower and so forth might give the impression to some people that they're somehow missing out on one section of their abs when in, in actuality it has nothing to do with that. And it's, 
you know, like you said, it was, uh, you know, it's just, it, it's a fat issue. You know, it, it's also worth pointing out, though, that doing something like just lying crunches where you're t- doing nothing but moving your shoulder blades off the floor, it might not make you, let's say, as muscularly sore as if you were to do hanging leg raises or V-sits or something like that that involves a little bit of kind of uh, pelvic tilt, if you will. But that, again, it, it, it's a good point that it's not something that's going to remove the body fat from your lower abs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for the most part, even when it feels like something is focusing more on the lower abs, it's still working every other part of your abs, too. It's, yeah. It is one sheet of muscle right there. And um, it may feel like it's kind of concentrating more in that area, and it, you may have some more tension in there, but it's not going to you know, shred your lower abs by just focusing on hanging leg raises. No. You know, it's, it, it works everything all at once. Okay. Um, Adorit. Iteritic Tirina from Albania. Um, is stretch pause the most effective way to build big muscles? Uh, Nick is the best. Yeah, that's um, that's actually a technique for my muscle explosion program. It's kind of like a, um, almost like a rest pause technique for those who aren't familiar with it. Basically what I do is if we're taking the bench press or chest, for example, I do one full set of 10 reps on the flat barbell bench, rest 20 seconds, and then go over to uh, dumbbell flies. And on every rep of the dumbbell fly, you hold that stretch position for five seconds. So the idea is you fill the uh, chest up with blood on the first bit, go to the flies, and while that chest is filled up with blood, then you hold that stretch and really stretch out the fascia. So you oh. do five or six reps of that, take another 20 seconds rest, and then you go back to the bench press and do a high rep partial movement on just the top few inches of that, top few inches of that bench press. So you're really finishing off the chest in that contracted position. Wow. And uh, you put those three together, and um, it, I find that to be extremely effective. Because yeah, not only you're getting the blood flow, you're getting the stretch of the fascia, and then you're getting high rep kind of connective tissue training in there as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth pointing out if you look at the research too, you can find stuff that muscle stretch itself. I mean, even regardless of uh, fascial stretch, induces uh, protein synthesis. You'll act. You can actually lengthen a muscle. The actin and myosin, right? Those sarcomeres will get laid down end to end, and you can actually add muscle mass through uh, that kind of weighted stretching. I mean, you have to be careful with injury, but yeah, yeah there's research for that too. Oh, absolutely, and that's that's that was one of the other things with that stretching, that very focused stretching as well that uh, I was focusing on when I came up with that kind of uh, stretch pause. Is that uh, that stretch position is very powerful for building muscle and. Uh, not only that, if you're lazy about stretching, you can get it in while you're actually doing your training too. There you go. And uh, for me, that's you know that's a big one because I'm I'm very bad about that. But uh, if I can actually do it while I'm doing the actual weight training itself, then I'm golden. That's so much better for me. Okay. Um, another person from Albania. Uh, can I use compound exercise overload to gain strength and mass training the same body part for longer than one week? Um, to that, and that was the um, three rep thing I was talking about earlier. And uh, the answer to that is definitely not. Because after five days, your nervous system will be shot. And uh, if you try and do it for more than five days, even five days is kind of pushing the pushing the limits on that. But uh, I've actually tried it and gone again the next week, and uh, basically just your your body is pretty well shot after that. And you'll start losing strength, and you'll start losing mass, and you'll start shooting yourself in the foot if you start going beyond that. Because uh, you need to give your body time to re uh, recover from all that. And it's Nick. It's Nick. Hey, let me ask you, what do you do after the five days? Do you 
literally take two or three days and do nothing or do some kind of like active recovery light work or what what are you doing in those off days? You basically do five days on that and then two days completely off that. Okay. And then are, are uh, we talking do the same compound movement like several days in a row? Is that what we're talking about? We are, yeah. Okay. That's, like for example, the one I recommend people do first in this program is just deadlifts. And you start out um, twenty minutes on your first day doing just deadlifts with the three rep sets. Decreasing the weight as you can't do three rep sets. And then the next day you do the same thing, you do deadlifts again. And you're basically, I figured it out with my own um, numbers, and I'd, you end up doing about 300 sets you know, in the course of five days. You know, it's interesting because it, it, some people out there might remember the name Vic Richards. I mean, mm-hmm. he's kicking about, but he was... Wow, there's a name from the past. No doubt. He was certainly a wonder when he first kind of, um, Jeff Everson kind of presented him, I think, in Muscle and Fitness. I, he would... He was kind of one of these guys that was kind of a charge under David and Peter Paul, the Barbarian Brothers. But he, uh, I remember, um, said at a seminar once that I attended that he oftentimes would train a certain exercise several days in a row just because he was very instinctive. Um, and you can argue whether or not there's such a thing as instinctive. But you get my point that he would go in and if he, if he, for whatever reason, he just felt really into squats that week, he would just go in three, four, five times and just squat all week. And then maybe not squat again for another two, three weeks. So he really just did what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it, and he he would overkill it. Um, yeah. So yeah. So I yeah, know. and that's kind of along the lines for this kind of program too. And I actually tell people, you know, don't go back to that same movement pattern for another at least another week when you're done with this five days, because no. your body, your nervous system is pretty well shot on that movement pattern, and you don't want to get any repetition injuries as well. So. Mm-hmm. And you change things up the next week. And I go to that stretch pause training after that that I was talking about. Okay, um, here's a, here's a big one. Uh, Bill in Cincinnati, what's the best way to design a workout for lean muscle, burn fat, while a busy father? And also incorporate a good nutritional plan to go with it. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, to, not to, I'm not laughing at you, brother. I, I'm, I'm just laughing with you because we, we would all have to spend a week setting that up. <laughs> I'm laughing at him myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, the, I would say just first, I don't know if this question's for Nick, but to simplify the request a little bit, gaining lean muscle is losing fat. They're not like separate things. If you gain muscle, you're automatically leaner. So uh, that's one way to simplify it. Because they're proportionate, right, percentages, yeah. Now, the body fat you have is now a percentage of a larger whole. So if you can just suddenly magically gain five pounds of muscle, even if nothing else has changed, your body fat percentage is now less. So I always just find it interesting how people separate gaining muscle and losing fat as if they're separate entities, and in my mind, they're the same thing. Not to mention, each additional pound of muscle that someone adds increases their daily metabolic rate by between 5 and 13 calories a day. So if you could put on 10 pounds of muscle... That's 50 to 130 extra calories burned off a day just because of that, you know, metabolically active added muscle mass. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to jump in here and just, this is, an, this is a virtually impossible question, but I'm just going to say a couple of things. The first is that there is no perfect program, so don't even get into that much analysis. Uh, if your training is harder than what you're accustomed to doing, it's going to lead to additional uh, uh, lean mass. And dietarily, I'm going to steal uh, a, a quip from the CrossFit community, which is that you should be taking in enough calories to support your training, but not more than that. So uh, that might be a place to start from. That's what I was going to say, just pretty simply, Bill, to start something today. 
<laughs> that's the number one thing. So many people want the perfect plan, they don't start, and they just sit there and wonder and wonder and wonder and try and get that incorporated first. Start something today. Do more than yesterday today. Well, um, you know what I've said. Diet and training. You know what I've said a million times. It's it's. You know, people argue about what program is better. You know, uh, Arnold did, you know, the high-volume thing. Dorian did the heavy-duty, short, you know, intense thing. There's, and there's all manner of training in between. Anything will really work if you commit to it enough. I mean, what, whether it be the be the best system for you and, and be most dramatic in what, what changes you make, that's, you know, to be seen through experimenting different diff, with different programs. But as long as whatever you're choosing for now, for, for the foreseeable future... It's something that you commit to, like Charles says. I mean, as long as you're working and, and you're working beyond kind of where you were with that program, it, it's almost impossible if you if you believe it enough not to at least, you know, gain some sort of improvement. And if I can offer some general dietary advice, that's very true. First of all, for a tar- target date type of diet, if you're trying to lose a lot of fat, let's say, or gain a lot of muscle, or just recompose in the short term. Really focus on things like, and again, everybody's different, and I'm not telling you to do this specifically, but things like lean meats and lots of fruits and vegetables. It's really a good general rule. If you eat lots of lean meats and fruits and vegetables, you're getting tons of nutrition. You're getting fiber, phytochemicals, satiating protein, and stuff like that. For the long haul, you also should probably include uh, the dietary principle of variety, of all the healthy foods you can think of, try to eat a variety so you're not getting too much of any one thing or too little of any other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I mean, all good advice. The last thing I'd add on, I mean, go ahead and uh, follow the link and buy one of Nick's e-books and then follow the other link and you can, like, get a consult with me, get one with Lonnie and one with Charles, and then you'll be set, man. Shameless, man. Shameless. <laughs> It'll be the trifecta. <laughs> Okay, this last one. This one has to be for Charles. Okay. Um, oh, crap. Hi, my name's Ron. Stop. I've, I've had voice box cancer clean for seven years. Lung cancer in two places. Clean again. I'm wondering uh, about the swine flu thing. Have any precautions I can take? That is such a fake question. That <laughs> no, that's on here. I People know it. I'm all irritated about swine flu, so of course, that is the fakest question all right, first of all, I'm not making light. If, if that is a real uh, listener and they have gone through all this cancer, I'm, you know, please. I mean, uh, I'm very sympathetic to that. Swine flu? I, I, look, if, if your immune system is compromised, as yours almost undoubtedly must be, then, yeah, I'd be concerned about not only swine flu, but any other possible insult to your immune system. And, and none of us are medical doctors here, so talk with your doctor, but... Uh, yeah, if you've got a compromised uh, immune system from chemotherapy and, and who knows what else, yeah, you've got to be cautious about all this stuff. That's it. That's all we got, fellas. Good stuff. So. Good. Let me, thanks, uh, everybody. <clears throat> Until next week. Thanks again, Nick, for coming. Um, everybody follow his uh, the links to his website and check Thanks, Nick. Mm-hmm. I will talk to everybody next week. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org. Starting a diet or an exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also, seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists.